is eliminating world leaders, crime lords, and CIA agents. Inexplicably, the deceased contract killers have the DNA of people who are long dead. CIA agent John Clooney devises a dangerous plan to capture a shadow killer alive. Contract a hit on himself. John Wessex, The Shadow Killers, is the second book of the John Clooney thrillers. Get it on Amazon. Let's watch a full-length movie on YouTube with Mike Spiegelman. Let's watch a full-length movie on YouTube with Mike Spiegelman. You can watch if you want to. You can slap Spiegelman's behind. L-W-A-F-L-M-N-O-Y-T on Mutiny Radio. Mutiny. It's pronounced mutiny. Mutiny! It's, it's pronounced mutiny! Mutiny! Oh, my turn-offs are guys who say mutiny. Mutiny? Well, let's watch a full-length movie on YouTube with Mike Spiegelman. Mike Spiegelman. Oh, Mike Spiegelman. Mike Spiegelman. Mike Spiegelman! Hey! Mike Spiegelman! Mike Spiegelman! Mike Spiegelman! Mike Spiegelman! Welcome to L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. Let's watch a full-length movie on YouTube with Mike Spiegelman and Carl. Hi, Carl. Hi, Mike. Good to see you again. Good to Good do to... this again. Ready to yes. go. Another Sunday afternoon, 2 p.m., as we broadcast first on mutinyradio.fm here in San Francisco. Go ahead, donate to their Patreon. Go ahead, donate to their Venmo account. Donate at Venmo is, is at Muni Radio. Uh, you can go to mutinyradio.fm and you can click and find the Patreon link there. Uh, we are here every Sunday, 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 5 p.m. East Coast Time. Oh, there goes my cat. Uh, and we are also a podcast.
moving so fast.
Good morning, mutineers. It's the Labor and Love Show. Big news today. Victory in an Amazon store in New York. No matter what you do, you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Maybe a rock and roll addict prancing on the stage. Money, drugs at your command, women in a cage. You may be a businessman or some high degree thief. They may call you doctor, or they may call you chief. serve somebody every day will it be the devil or the lord will it, may be will it be capital or will it be labor just go along you're serving capital maybe a construction worker working on a home Serve somebody. 
And good morning, mutineers. You are tuned to Mutiny Radio, mutinyradio.fm. Coming at you from 2781 21st Street in San Francisco, the heart of the mission, El Mero Mero. This is the show where we tell you how it is. If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. You don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table, that is, where you work. You're on the menu. 5,000 Amazon workers are no longer on the menu. They have a voice now at their Staten Island headquarters. And never, but never make the mistake of letting someone in your heart who is not a friend of labor It's only a waste of time. Labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. The worker's voice. Okay, so we we had that set. That was, you know, hopefully this show is uh, eclectic, first and foremost. Because everybody works. Every community is a working community. We had the election blues, a beautiful look back at the 2000 election and George Bush, who was elected and uh, the way he comported himself. First, we were going to have a, we weren't going to have a volunteer army. Oh, yeah, then we did. (laughs) Please. Okay. Um, then we had Las Cafeteras with the Petanera. Petanera is a type of song from Andalusia. And just then we had Bob Dylan with You Gotta Serve Somebody, a song that I love to play, but usually with that a James version. So today we played uh, Dylan's version. What do we got for you today? Radio Labor, of course, that'll come right up. Labor History in Two Minutes, our regular features. Several video articles about the Amazon workers on Staten Island. This is an amazing development. A big, a huge deal, because it doesn't just cover a few hundred workers. It covers... A thousand, seven, eight thousands. We'll get, we'll get more on that. Um, organized farm workers win basic demands in a quick strike. We got 
little bit about Ramadan for the Muslim people of the world. Ramadan is beginning most most time this month. And then a feature about a local singer, La Doña, from a well-known uh, UFW slash music family here in the Mission. And uh, so much more. I have a... Um, a history of the free speech campaign in San Diego. We have uh, one of my favorite clips about Mexican workers walking off the job in Pennsylvania. And uh, so much more. We'll get to our credos get to our credos here. And we're backed up by none other than Miles Davis. Reminder that the richest 1% own half the stock market. And the richest 10% own almost all, 92% of it. <clears throat> so when the moguls brag about the stock market, they're not talking about the economy that 90% of Americans inhabit. Ever wonder that? Why uh, in the news they would always tell us how how the Dow was doing? Who cares? Here's from Utah Phillips. Kids don't have a little brother working in the coal mine. They don't have a little sister coughing her lungs out in the looms of the big mill towns of the Northeast. Why? Because we organized, we broke the back of the sweatshops in this country. We have child labor laws. These were not benevolent gifts from enlightened management. They were fought for, they were bled for, they were died for by working people like us. Kids ought to know that. That's why I sing these songs. That's why I tell these stories, damn it. No root, no fruit. Oh, I already got that one. How about immigrants? That's one of our 
one of our country's pet peeves. Mr. Trump and his ilk have made it into a pet peeve. Can I tell you a secret? I don't even care if there are undocumented immigrants in this country. Without social security numbers, they aren't privy to the welfare people claim they get. The vast majority of them are just people trying to live a better life. This whole wall, deport the illegals, bullshit. It's just 1% telling the working people to blame a subset of the working poor for the fact that they're all poor. Instead of realizing the reason they're all poor is due to the vast income inequality and resource price inflation in combination with wage stagnation. Please use your brains. The existence of another poor people, other poor people, another poor person is not why you're poor. It's because the people who control everything refuse to increase your wages. And now they are increasing the wages because all of a sudden did the big corporations get together and say they were going to have a living wage? No. People all over the country, all over the world, made sure that they had a, that they knew, at least they knew, that people needed a living wage. Okay, those are some of our credos here on this show. And let's have a listen to Radio Labor. Our worldwide review of labor.
uh, while we deal with our technical issues here, let's listen to some music. A picket sign, huh? Friday, April 1st, 2022. I'm Mark Belanger. In the report this week, the ITUC's Fourth World Women's Conference and Equal Pay. The ILO's incoming chief calls for decent work. The Labor Start report about union events and singing. This is Radio Labor. The International Trade Union Confederation has held the second session of its fourth World Women's Conference online. The ITUC is the organization which represents national union centers such as the Ghana Trades Union Congress and the AFL-CIO in the United States. Seamarie Ainsborough reports. The fourth ITUC World Women's Conference has called for more action towards equal pay for work of equal value and other measures to ensure equality for women workers. The conference was conducted online March 30th and 31st. In one of the conference events, a discussion was held about what is happening in Europe. It was moderated by Esther Lynch from the European Trade Union Confederation, the ETUC. She introduced Paula Penzeri, who is a member of the ETUC Women's Committee and a policy officer with the European Public Service Union, EPSU. I believe, like all of you believe, 
that every woman, no matter who she is, no matter what work she does, deserves equal pay. But I know, like all of you know, that that's not the case for so many working women in Europe, working women around the world. So it's particularly uh, uh, important for us to join our forces together. And I'm privileged to be here to, as the coming from the ETUC, bringing solidarity messages from the European Trade Union Committee's Women's Committee. With, together, we're the biggest association of working women in the world, together with, the, with our colleagues in the ITUC. But we have a lot of challenges in front of us at the moment. Women are being put to the back of the queue. It's very clear that women showed up during the pandemic, showed up every day at work as carers, as cleaners. And yet now, when we're very close to being able to secure equal pay, the challenging of pay on the basis of work of equal value. Why is it that women who care and clean are paid so little? Shouldn't we be able to challenge that too? Isn't that part of the unfinished revolution when it comes to equal pay? I'm going to go to Taula, who works in EPSU, but she's from the ETUC Women's Committee here today too. So, Paula, can you explain what we're doing in the ETUC Women's Committee to, to try and ensure equal pay? Over to you, Paula. Thank you very much, Esther. Indeed, today uh, I do work for EPSU, the European Public Service Unions, but I'm here today as Vice President of the ETUC uh, Women's Committee, and it's an honour to be with you today. I could say very many things about the work that the ETUC Women's Committee has been doing and is doing to get the Pay Transparency Directive and to get recognised in EU legislation the right to equal pay for work of equal value. But let me start from saying that the ETUC and the Women's Committee have been working for a long time before the directive on this matter. And it's probably also because of the pressure because of the pressure that we all put together across Europe, that we have a directive today, because it was promised to us that we would have a a directive on pay transparency. The Commission promised, the European Commission, but then kept delaying its publication, and it got over a year of delay, but it was just, I think, also because of the pressure that the Women's Committee and the unions across Europe that kept asking, do give us what you promised, that we had a first draft of the of the directive in the first place. So I think the union movement not only was fundamental, but it was actually proactive and instrumental to get this piece of legislation on the table. Was it perfect? No. It had good elements. We also actually, as ETUC, during that period of delay, we also proposed a model directive. You're not giving it to us, we propose you one so that you can get inspired on what we workers and what our members tell us it's fundamental to be in that text. So having in mind that the goal of the directive is broader than equal pay for work of equal value, but is to strengthen pay transparency measures, but also to include some enforcement mechanisms so that equal pay for work of equal value is not just a right, but it's enforced in European legislation and therefore in the member states. I am deeply and personally honored to be the first representative of the Africa region to be selected to lead the ILO. 
That is Gilbert Hongbo from Togo in his first speech after being elected Director General of the International Labor Organization. The ILO is the UN agency focused on matters of work in the world. It sets minimum standards on issues such as hours of work and workplace equality. The organization is operated in a tripartite manner by representatives of governments, employers, and trade unions. Between annual conferences, it is coordinated by the governing body, which includes representatives of all three social partners. Honorable members of the governing bodies, dear colleagues, the outcome of this election carries a rich symbolism. Your choice today, member of the governing body, fulfills the aspirations of a young African, a young African boy whose humble upbringing turned into a lifelong quest for social justice. Also marks for an entire region, a region that did not have a seat at the table when ILO constitution was drafted in 1919. Its readiness to lead the way in a united effort to act on the principle enshrined in the Declaration of Philadelphia that labor is not commodity. A great thinker once said, history is the work of people. With this election, you, member of the governing body, you have made history. I am deeply and personally honored to be the first representative of the Africa region to be selected to lead the ILO after 103 years. I wish to thank deeply my own government of Togo, as well as all African member states and the African Union and Africa Commission for their relentless effort in put forward my candidacy. Although my origins are African. My perspective is global. In an age, unfortunately, of divisiveness, my commitment to be a unifying director general stands firm. Elections are now over. I will be the director general of nobody and the director general of everybody. Government, employers, and workers alike from all regions across the world can rely and should rely on my total readiness to represent and advocate the views of all tripartite constituents of the organization. Above all, I commit to represent the voices of those who rely on us in ILO. I'm thinking about the 4 billion people around the world who do not have access to social protection. I'm thinking about the 200 plus million of women and men who face unemployment, the 160 million children in child labor, the 1.6 billion of people in the informal sector, Mr. Hungbo will replace the outgoing Director General of the ILO, Guy Ryder, in October 2022. Mr. Ryder, elected in 2012, was the first unionist to head the organization. Here with his report about union events is Labor Start correspondent Derek Blackadder.
This week, our top stories section included links to coverage of what the BBC is calling a new golden age for unions in the United Kingdom and in the United States. We also had many, many stories about the national general strike last week in India that affected everything from banks to steel mills and more manifestations of global trade union solidarity with Ukrainian workers and with those Russians who have been imprisoned for their opposition to the war. We also carried a story about what life is like for Belarusian activists who have had to do their union work while in exile. But my favorite top story of the week was really a series of stories about how unions in countries bordering Ukraine are using their offices to house refugees and how they are moving to place other refugees in their members' homes. One story that has had a long, perhaps too long life on our news pages is the ongoing paperworkers' walkout in Finland. Their union, in concert with Industrial, the global union federation for their sector, is moving to place pressure on the employer with a campaign aimed at the company's shareholders. For our Working Women page, our volunteers found news of a workload strike by Australian nurses and midwives, an analysis of the winning campaign to ensure equal pay for women workers in Scotland, and a report from Nepal where Gafont's National Women's Conference concluded this week. And, of course, we also carried the reaction of education unions around the world to the news that girl children over the age of 11 will not be allowed to attend school in Afghanistan. A small sample of the stories appearing on our health and safety page in Newswire this week includes the good news of a plan for the introduction of 10 days of sick leave for all workers in Ireland and the long-term effects of the pandemic on exhausted healthcare workers in countries like Canada, China, and Argentina. We also had coverage of new revelations by the Fire Brigades Union in the United Kingdom as the inquiry into the Grenfell disaster continues. And from Australia, we brought you the reaction of the Transport Workers Union to the proposed self-regulation of truckies' hours of work by employers as the state steps back from its role in keeping drivers and the public safe. Our current photo of the week is of Meena Patel, a longtime Labour Start supporter and an official with India's Construction and Industrial Workers Security and Development Union, as she explains the reasons for last week's two-day general strike that saw millions of workers off the job across India. This is Derek Blackadder from Labour Start, reporting for Radio Labour. Now, speaking of Scotland and equal pay, here's a song written during Scotland's 2018 strike in which thousands of women hit the picket lines for fair pay.
If you know who is singing that song, please send us a note using the address email at radiolabor.org. And that's it. Labor news you can use. You can listen to our daily newscasts and features at radiolabor.net. I'm Mark Bolanger. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity. I'm trying to get the nurses, the nurses' lullaby up here, and uh, not coming up. The nurses' lullaby is a beautiful song about a person who's dying of the COVID, and. Um, They can't see their family or anything because, you know, it's so contagious. If we can get it on iTunes, I guess not. iTunes. Okay, at any rate, um, it's all about... Um, a patient, and the only person who's there for the patient is, of course, a nurse. We'll have to play that some other time. Right now, I want to get to the big news, the very big news of union victory in an Amazon facility. And, uh, it's a big deal. Let's listen. We'll listen to several versions. This one is from uh, CBS News. Amazon workers in New York City vote to form first union union. Okay. And somebody, according to the National Labor Relations Board, 8,325 workers at the facility were eligible to vote. Workers at an Amazon warehouse in Staten Island, New York, voted to become the company's first unionized workforce in the United States. They are celebrating there and seeking longer breaks paid time off for injured employees, and a wage of $30 per hour. An Amazon facility in Alabama held a separate vote on unionizing. The outcome there remains unsettled. Okay, as a matter of fact, the... At, at Bath Fitter, every quality bath starts with... At the uh, second union was... So we fit your style. Okay... See what we can get here.
And we want a video. Okay, this is a, a personal story about a woman at one of the Amazon facilities. Her name is Jennifer Bates. And she talks about unionizing it. At uh, Bessemer. Bessemer, Alabama is where it was. And um, it turned out that that vote failed by about 100 votes. But there are 400 or so votes that are in question. Okay. Jennifer Bates testified before the United States Senate. And talked about how, first of all, why she wanted to, to unionize. Let's see. And and um, no, we're not we're not getting anything here. And this is from CNN. Why this Alabama woman took on Amazon. Her name is Jennifer Bates. And all, all we're getting now is the the job I had before Amazon, that job had no benefits. And at Amazon, they start that day that you sign on the dotted line to be able to have my whole family on that plan. It was a great feeling. This is an Amazon ad. When I saw the chain reaction around the country, I began to feel good that, you know what? I was supposed to go to Amazon. I was supposed to stand and speak out. When the Amazon warehouse workers in Bessemer, Alabama pushed to unionize last year, Jennifer Bates became not just another employee on the floor, but the face of a movement. Ms. Bates, let me ask you a very simple question. She even testified in front of the U.S. Senate this March. It's time for someone to be held accountable for what they're doing. But less than a year and a half ago, she was just a woman living in Birmingham looking for a job. When you heard that Amazon was opening a warehouse nearby, what were your initial thoughts? This is a game changer for the area. Bessemer, Alabama is a poor community, but it's growing. It's been up and down. So having an Amazon facility there, um, I think would have brought businesses and also economic growth for the families that work there and in the surrounding area. You say the job is really strenuous. The days are very long. Walk me through what were some of the main problems you saw at Amazon. I thought that I was going to go in and do an eight-hour shift, you know, the work that they had provided. But it's the amount of pressure they put on you to get the job done. It's added stress that is unnecessary. It blew my mind that they only had this one small elevator for the employees. You have a four-flight high facility, and your employees have to take the stairs. That was one of the things that triggered me to think, what was this place really designed for? 
Jennifer and other warehouse employees have said Amazon is too strict in its monitoring of workers' productivity. Amazon denies this. Once you come in and scan your badge through the turnstile, you're already being tracked. One of the things the PA used to come by and say, you know, your numbers are low, so what can you do to get the amount of boxes you need to get? Then you have to think, should I go to the restroom or that time spent running to the restroom is going to count against my time off task and I could potentially get rolled up or get fired because I don't have the amount of boxes scanned for that portion of the day. What did you want Amazon to do about these issues? We wanted them to fix it. We felt that the union would help us a lot. What began as hushed conversations among workers quickly became a David versus Goliath story against one of the largest employers in the nation. Did you ever imagine you'd be the face of this movement? Absolutely not. What's this been like for you? It was a risky move, but it was an important one. And it just snowballed into where we are today. People all over the country had begun to stand up. Be encouraged about who they were and begin to value who they were on the job. Today and over the next few days and weeks, workers in Alabama and all across America are voting on whether to organize a union in their workplace. Everything looked good on paper, but once you go on the inside, you see the reality. Despite attention from prominent politicians and even President Biden, the vote ultimately came up short, with 738 who voted for unionization and 1,798 voting against it. Once it was over, it was a shock to a lot of people. And the day that we got the answer, people just stopped working because they couldn't understand that how did the number come out like that? Meanwhile, an upcoming National Labor Relations Board decision looms as to whether Amazon tipped the scales and broke certain fair election rules and if a new vote should take place. But Jennifer and her union campaigners say that either way, the fight isn't over. What do you say, though, to the people that look at you and they say, well, I'm not in a union, I don't have a pension, I don't have the power to collectively negotiate, I'm an at-will employee, so why do you need this? We deserve it. If we give our lives 100% committed to these companies, they should be 100% committed to us. So what I would tell them is, you are more valuable than you deemed yourself to be. You can have exactly what we're fighting for if we just stand, open our mouths, and now the fire is lit, and I don't think it's going out. Okay, that's one person's take on it. Jennifer Bates, one of the leaders at the Bessemer. The life where I've only had to have one job. Yeah, Amazon was definitely... Um, at the Bessemer. Now, let's see. Mm, union, Amazon workers... inside the historic Amazon vote. Uh, 
I think this will be like a fire starter, somebody remarks. And so what happened is about 2,500, 2,600 people voted to unionize at Staten, at the Staten facility, and about 2,100 uh, voted against the union. But there are only about 60 or 70 votes that, have, that are being challenged. And of course... Amazon is going to challenge it. Amazon said that the National Labor Relations Board has been siding with the workers. Of course, the National Labor Relations Board is supposed to protect the rights of American workers. Duh. Maybe they didn't know that, huh? Who knows? Um... See if we can get something else. Amazon workers just voted to join a union. Here's what happens next. Amazon workers at a Staten Island warehouse voted to unionize the first time that's happened in one of the company's U.S. facilities. The Amazon Labor Union, which is a new organization, now has to get to work trying to negotiate a collective bargaining agreement with Amazon. Tom Cochin, a professor at MIT Sloan School of Management, says Amazon is going to have to reassess its labor relations strategy. Um, the fulfillment center doesn't flip to becoming a union shop overnight, and there's potentially a long road ahead. But the wheels are in motion for change. The leader of the union is a guy named Christian Smalls who was fired. And let's see if we can watch this story about Chris Smalls. He was fired for union organizing. And um, instead of just quitting and leaving... Uh, it's been like inside that facility. It's been scary. It's been real scary. Um, unfortunately, we have people that were out there today with me that haven't been in that building the entire month. Um, they're afraid for their, their, their lives. They're afraid for their family lives. Um, and that was the reason of the whole entire movement. Um, just me being the voice and sticking up for those who don't have a voice. Um, I felt it was the right thing to do. Unfortunately, it cost me my job, but um, I don't want to work for a company that doesn't take care of their people. And the Amazon has dropped the ball on that. So it is what it is. What um, I'm still are, to Chris, fight. what aren't they, Chris? What, Chris? What aren't they doing that you want them to be doing? All we asked for was a simple building closure and it to be professionally sanitized. You know, we had a confirmed case, um, and people were afraid. And that's all we were asking for. Nothing more, nothing less. We would have returned to work. Um, they wouldn't give us that. And that's 
ridiculous to me. You know, we had a building uh, a week and a half ago in Queens, New York, had the same issue. I don't see what the discrepancy is with our building, that they couldn't do the same for us. You know, there's people that's been there uh, since the building opened, and we feel like we're not worth anything to the company. We feel like we're expendable, and it's sad to say that the, the company well, failed us, and, you know, that's all we really wanted was Chris, a building Chris. closure and to be sanitized. You said you were fired. When did that happen? Um, uh, Around 4.30 today in the afternoon. You know, they gave me a call. How, did, how did that happen? They're claiming that I violated a quarantine policy, which um, I, 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 it's ridiculous. I'm ridiculous. I'm appalled by it because I don't know what gives them uh, medical expertise to know who's supposed to be quarantined and who's not. Um, they claim that I came in contact with somebody um, that was tested positive, but um, the person that I sent home, which was my colleague, uh, who tested positive, I was only around her for maybe two to five minutes. And thank God I sent her home because the bosses that are still in the building, they're the ones that allowed her to come back to work. And she was a, a positive case. So if it wasn't for me actually returning to work on Tuesday and sending her home, she would have been there another 10 hour shift and exposed to um, more people, spreading the virus possibly to more associates. So this was a targeted attack against me, you know, to silence me, to silence my movement. But was this, was this, do you believe this was an attack? Would you, be, you believe that they were firing you because you were speaking out publicly? Or do Absolutely. you believe that you, Absolutely. Had, you been, had, you been, had you been told not to come to, to work? No, absolutely not. Uh, what what happened was, I've been coming to work off the clock the entire week, the entire week. Um, off she the tested clock. Off the clock. Off the clock. I wasn't paid. I wasn't paid. They're saying that I was paid. I haven't been why? paid yet. Um, why were you like coming? Said, why coming were you to coming to work off the clock? clock? So this is Chris Smalls, and Smalls was fired. That was an interview that took place in. 2020, he was fired for, they said, because he violated some kind of quarantine. Um, so what's going to happen now? Contract talks between ALU and Amazon could start soon. Amazon will delay, said David Rosenfeld, a labor lawyer at Weinberg, Roger, and Roosevelt. Rosenfeld. We're not going to walk in and do the right thing because that will encourage organizing everywhere else. They'll do everything they can to avoid a contract and it will be a long, big, nasty fight. Okay. And um, the head of the uh, Labor Studies Department at San Francisco State said that this is a game changer. This is a huge victory. Finally, finally cracking, finally cracking the Amazon wall. For the first time, Bernie Sanders says workers at Amazon labor were successful in organizing a union at an Amazon facility. I believe it's going to be a shot in the arm for this country's labor movement. And of course, uh, 
Jeff Bezos. Yes, our employees. Jeff Bezos, who just came back from space. The intermediary between us and our employees. Let me congratulate the Amazon Labor Union in Staten Island for their extraordinary victory. For the very first time, they were successful in organizing a union at an Amazon facility. And this is an independent union with almost no financial resources. And they were successful in taking on one of the largest corporations in this country, owned by Jeff Bezos, one of the wealthiest people in this country. And what that victory in Staten Island tells me is that working people all in Staten Island, what you did is extraordinary. We don't believe that we need a union to be an intermediary between us and our employees. Let me congratulate the Amazon Labor Union in Staten Island for their extraordinary victory. For the very first time, they were successful in organizing a union at an Amazon facility. And this is an independent union with almost no financial resources. And they were successful in taking on one of the largest corporations in this country, owned by Jeff Bezos, one of the wealthiest people in this country. And what that victory in Staten Island tells me is that working people all over this country are sick and tired of seeing corporate profits soaring they're seeing billionaires become much richer, and yet they don't have adequate wages, adequate benefits, adequate working conditions. My guess is that this victory in Staten Island will not only mean more organizing at Amazon facilities around the country, I think it's gonna be a shot in the arm for the labor movement, and you can see more and more workers stand up and say, you know what, we want justice on the job. We also are gonna form a union. So once again, congratulations to the Amazon employees in Staten Island. What you did is extraordinary. It'll impact the entire country. Thank you. Okay, so that was Bernie's reaction to the union vote. A huge victory for labor. One of the one, one uh, labor activist said it, it. The last time such a big thing like this happened was two thousand and eight. Okay, well, let's listen. To, uh, Miles Davis. We'll take a little break now. Be back soon.
Hey, okay. Um, Miles Davis there. I'm going to talk now about a local musician named La Doña. And she comes from a farm worker family, UFW family, and a family of musicians, the Goveas. Miguel Govea is a prominent uh, Mission District musician, very well known. And uh, Jessica Govea was an organizer for the UFW who led the fight when the UFW took up the issue of pesticides. So, let's see. Let's listen to her first. Algo Nuevo is the name of this one. And then she's got some commentary. Pepe papi, ya no te quiero, no quiero tu caricia ni tu dinero. Vente mami, yo quiero algo nuevo, a ver cómo va, a ver qué prefiero. Pepe papi, ya no te quiero, no quiero tu caricia ni tu dinero. Vente mami, yo quiero algo nuevo, a ver cómo va, a ver qué prefiero. I like to be fucking with life, es con mamá, soy como en la house, toda la casa ni amo. So fly es para el rancho, la playa, la vía, la vía.
Okay, so that was La Doña. And um, she's talking about algo nuevo. I don't like you anymore. I want something new. And... La Doña and San Francisco. She talks about living in San Francisco. Let's listen to this, is to know the biggest heartbreak. It comes from Bernal Heights. The article is from SF Weekly. Live here long enough and you'll eventually experience emotional backlash. It's possible to be overwhelmed by the singular beauty of this city and then minutes later become consumed with existential terror over where the next month's rent is supposed to come from. The juxtaposition underpins the work of San Francisco native La Doña whose growing body of work reveals a lifetime engagement with Latinidad and a sense of urgency over just how much is required of it, even as it's being squeezed out of the city. The result is a bittersweet alienation, something that two songs from her 2020 album, Algo Nuevo, crystallized just so. San Francisco, si me mata, San Francisco kills me. La doña sings on quien me la paga. Alan, cuando se van, it's San Pancho, te quiero. In other words, I love you, San Francisco, even though you're killing me. To be from San Francisco is to know the biggest heartbreak. La doña tells San Francisco weekly by phone. She translates the full verse on Cuando Se Van as San Francisco. I love you. I was born here and I owe you everything, but I no longer recognize you in the form that you are. The struggle with maintaining a sense of place is brutal, but the music that grew out of it is beautiful indeed on the strength of Algo Nuevo and an upraised fistful of singles, La Doña will join Red Bull's Estados Unidos de Bass this Saturday at 9. Uh, this was in December. Um, I've been actively resisting and continuing to be part of the movement against police brutality much longer than I've been making music as La Doña. And I would like to listen to that song, Cuando Se Van. See if we can get that. Cuando Se Van, When They Leave. And um, she's talking about She's talking about um, the mission, the mission as a center of 
Latina culture, um, the mission as a place where working people could live comfortably. Here we go. Cuando se van by La Doña. Planning a family. Um, as I say, she's from a musical family and an activist family, UFW activist family. que quieren comer nuestro pan que nos ofrecen y que es que nos dan de dónde vienen y cuando se van San Pancho te quiero nací aquí cuánto te debo y yo ni te conozco en la forma que tú estés la gente pintada Que quieren comer nuestro pan Ay, ratita Que nos ofrecen y que es que nos dan De dónde vienen y cuándo se van Ay, dime cuándo se van Sueño con terremotos La ciudad para nosotros Sueño con temblores Y ellos se van Sueño con terremotos La Que quieren comer nuestro pan 
que nos ofrecen y que es que no está. Okay, that was La Doña. Uh, the first song we played by her was much more erotic uh, in both its uh, video portion and its lyrics. Algo nuevo. She's saying she wants a new kind of love, perhaps, with a woman. Uh, La Doña is, has been identified as a crypto-techno-feminist. Okay, the second song, Cuando Se Van, De Donde Vienen y Cuando Se Van, where do these people come from and when are they leaving? These people who have taken over our neighborhood and they, who want to eat our bread, she says. La Doña, a local artist. Okay, we've got... Uh, R. Reed, R. Reed on um, the Will Smith incident. I guess we can get to that next. The real scandal at the Oscars. So let's listen to a little. Let's play some music here. about the weavers. Another stroll downtown. Let me hear it now. Sometimes I live in the country Sometimes 
rambling. Stop your gambling. Stop staying out late at night. Go home to your wife and your family. Stay there by your fireside. Okay, of course, the classic Irene Goodnight, like a lot of the songs that we play on this show, there's a story that goes with it. The Weavers, the group that recorded that song, uh, got it got it from uh, Edie Ledbetter, a.k.a. Led, Led Belly, and... Uh, was the number one hit in the country in 1949. That was before the Red Scare, and the group was canceled. They had a contract to have a radio show. That was canceled because of their politics. And as Pete Seeger said at the time, my politics are my business, and... The head of the committee's politics are his business. For, but Seeger went on uh, for a 10-year hiatus before he was kind of rediscovered. At any rate, what I want to uh, what I want to address now is um, the Will Smith incident. People are talking of little else for the couple of days. Hello, Vita and Yemen, are you there? Hello. Thank you for calling in. And before I get your uh, your read on this situation, which uh, everybody was talking about for a while, the real scandal, it says in these times at the Oscars, was when celebrities crossed the picket line. There was a party, a post-party after the uh, Oscar ceremonies, at a uh, hotel uh, that was being picketed by hospitality workers. So we've got a list here of the stars who crossed the picket line and the ones who uh, refused to. So we'll get on to that later. But I want to get your opinion. Now, on the face of it, this is, you know, it's a trivial thing. You know, some movie star slapped another movie star. But... It seems to uh, mean a lot more for a whole lot of people. So what's your reaction to it? Go, go ahead. Um, well, I'll go first, I guess. I have a reaction and a commentary about something else. But okay. I think that, I mean, I don't know. I don't think it's right personal, personally. Um, I don't think it's right because it sets precedence for other things too because like now, you know, oh, someone doesn't agree with this with you. Now I'm going to slap them. And then you slap them, and then you say, oh, well, you guys were okay when Will Smith did it. 
and this offends my blah, 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 you know? Yeah. Like, he could have just... He could have just, you know, done it differently, like maybe gone up on the stage. I'd heard people say, like, maybe he could have gone up on the stage and just, uh, like, talked and said, you know what, like, my wife has alopecia and, like, this really isn't cool that we create that kind of environment where people who have sicknesses can't even and are feeling insecure because they look different, like can't even come out and enjoy themselves because they're going to get called out. Like, let's try and think about what kind of community we're creating here. Like he should have said something like that. You know, I feel like it would have gone a long way. And then, you know, he could have, I guess he needed to assert his manliness because that's his wife. So he has to show that he's protecting her and do a whole thing. But he could have done it in a different way. Like he could have just been intimidating on the stage and yelled at him. As opposed to slapping, you know. Um, I agree. But he could have, he definitely, I think he should have said something if it bothered her that much. And they're already so established in Hollywood. It's like, you know, you'd think she'd be able to just have some peace and quiet about that. And then people were saying that they should have made fun of the whole uh, open relationship thing as opposed to that. Because the open relationship thing was something that they decided to put out there and they decided to be public with it as opposed to the alopecia where it's something she was public with, but she didn't really have a choice. Chuck didn't know about the alopecia. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I just don't think the violence, just because even though nothing bad happened in that situation, like it sets a precedence. It, of course, just like when Trump was in office, like, it's bad example for the children, you know, like I think he could have still stood up for her and did the right thing that he was doing, but just not like that. Of course he could have. Absolutely. And several comedians now have commented, yeah, what if I get up there and do my act and somebody doesn't like it? Are they going to be the new Will Smith? Yeah. So, Yaman, what do you think? What's your... What's your read on this? I think that he did a huge favor to the Oscars and to to Hollywood that night because this is more talked about than the war in Ukraine. (laughs) No. Yeah. Um, I think that, well, Chris Rock didn't file charges. Will Smith could could be in jail right now. Um, Could be uh, paying consequences, but Chris Rock didn't. And because he didn't, I think it makes it more of an entertainment um, incident because at the end of the day, like they didn't have security over there to take him out. Um, and when they did confront him, he said, I didn't want to go. He said, I was saying like, to last him to leave. He said, no, um, Chris Rock didn't file charges. So that, that's what it comes out to be at the end of the day. You know, it's just entertainment. Um, and I don't think people have to worry in the future, even though there's been talk about, oh, comedians, you know, blah, blah, blah. They're going to get scared. If anybody comes up and touches you, you can throw them in jail. Yeah. You know, Chris chose not to do that. Um, I think there's been a lot of, like, white people rage about the incident. I know. That's and, that's a bad thing, yeah. Yeah, and it's between three, uh, three black people. Um, I think that they shouldn't, you know, start treating the situation as if it's, 
like from a white man's world. You know what I mean? Like the two people had a bone to pick. They went up, they picked the bone right on stage. Um, Chris Rock decided not to throw Will Smith in jail. And that's it. It's it's done, you know. Uh, if the Academy is so upset, then they should have got security to throw him out. They didn't do that, but they had him resign. Um, I think that, you know, it was unfortunate, of course, because Chris Rock, from what I heard, hadn't known that about the alopecia. Yeah, but my thing is that he made a movie, and you don't know, I don't know, neither of you men know about this movie called Good Hair. Oh. And he made it about black women and their hair. Uh-huh. It was a documentary, and he made it, like, 2013. 2011. Chris Rock did. Because he has a daughter, and he thought he was a feminist. So he's like, oh, I'm going to make it to help black women with their hair. Okay? I'm not a black woman, but I have hair. <laughs> and I, like, even me, my hair is a big deal to me. Okay? Yeah. It's a reflection of how I feel about myself. It just as a man, you should know better certain things with women. You shouldn't. And as a black man, you should really know better. Because yeah. with black women, like, even amongst themselves, like, they cannot say certain things to each other. Because it's like, it doesn't matter who you are. You don't say certain things about someone's hair or about the way they look. You get what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't matter even if you're the number one black woman in the world, you cannot say something about another black woman's hair. It's just not going to go down like that. So like, especially with disrespect, because like, you know, they've gone through so much over the years, over the centuries. And like, even if she had her head bald, not because of alopecia, just because that was a look, he shouldn't have said anything. Cause that's also a thing for black women. Like, you know what I mean? They're trying to take a stand and be confident and do their thing. They don't need people telling them, oh, you look like G.I. Jane. You look like some subset. Like, no, you look like a queen. You look amazing. This is working for you. You look great. Whatever you're doing, it's you, you know? It, he just shouldn't have done that. Like, I don't, I don't even, I mean, I know because of the alopecia, that's why it was so messed up. But I mean, I don't know. I, I don't think even black men should have that right to like, be putting black women on the spot and be like, oh, your hair looks like this. Bitch, shut the fuck up. You know, you don't have to, you don't fix your hair, fuck you. No, like, seriously, I don't, I just don't think there should be a space for that ever. Like, you know, if you're not going to be talking about a woman with respect, then just shut your mouth or else someone's going to come and shut it for you. So that's what I think. And okay. I mean, she didn't do anything to deserve that. The problem of course, the bottom line problem, despite, you know, all this stuff, is that for a lot of white people, it's going to reinforce their kind of racist attitudes Yeah. about black people in general, you know. Oh, see, we, we, let, them into the, we let them into the Oscars and look what they do, you know. They, you know, they slap each they other. It's like this. <laughs> The, the hood, you know, they think they're in the hood. But anyway. Um, yeah, well, you know what? Donald Trump did plenty of ghetto stuff for all of us to think we're in the hood, that America's the hood, because Donald Trump was always being ghetto and saying, oh, kick him out, kick him out. We don't like that. You know, like, he was always invoking violence. At least they resolved Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, and you know, like, it's, I get that white people may say that, racist white people may say that, and because they have, like, the media or, like, whatever, they could sway and it's important, but at the end of the day, it's not. It's, like, I personally, the first thing I thought when I saw it, I was, like, I don't know if Chris Rock would have done that if those, if Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith were white. I don't know if he would have done that. Because that's kind of, like... Made a joke. Yeah, like... It's just not cute. I think if he made a joke about the open relationship thing, that would have been hilarious. But, I mean, alopecia, like, I'm not going to see someone with crutches and be like, you know, make a joke. And, like, what, like, how much of a loser comic are you that you can't come up with something real? I know, but it still doesn't matter in the context of people of color and women. He shouldn't have said that. The other point... The other point is that all the material that Chris Rock um, was going to present on the Oscars was reviewed by the Academy people, and they passed on it, said it was okay. Well, they wanted good ratings, I guess. <laughs> I guess. Hey. Okay, one minute. What do You, you want to sum it up, or one minute for um, you, one for Yemen? I think. Uh, subliminally, I think people respect both Chris Rock and Will Smith more, but they're just too trying to look too proper to say anything about it because it is assault. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't want to come off like that. But I think people are laughing like, oh, God, the guy spoke about his wife and got smacked. If anybody I, spoke about my wife, I would smack them. I think people are also like, dang, like, Will Smith has been so humiliated this last yeah. year that now he's like, he's done. He's like, the next person who says something about me, I'm a... I'm a my wife's sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. He's been so, like, crying on every interview. I think it was classy that Chris Rock didn't... Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I want to thank you for taking your time and commenting. I'm going to follow it up with... A story about the picket line. Oh, yeah. On In These Times. The real scandal at the Oscars was when celebrities crossed the picket line. Was it the Vanity Fair Oscar party or which party? It was a post party. I don't think it was the Vanity Fair party. Let me see. Uh-huh. Jay Z threw the party at the Chateau Marmont Hotel. The billionaire hip-hop mogul refused to respond to the union's request that he honor the boycott by moving his party. That's messed up. Anyway, okay, thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you for covering the labor news. Okay, and um, Yaman and Rita, talk to you soon. I'll talk to you later today. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, well, as I commented, the real story from the point of view of labor and love is that stars either crossed or didn't cross a picket line at a hotel that's being picketed. Jay-Z had a party there. The Unite Here uh, Local 11 co-president Kurt Peterson said, We hoped that Jay-Z would do the right thing and move his party. He had every opportunity to do so. But he made it clear what side he was on. He was not on the side of workers, of black women, of justice for working people. Celebrities who attended the party, the 
despite the highly publicized union boycott included Rosario Dawson, which is a surprise. Dawson later claimed that she went to the party later on after the picket line had been taken down. Janelle Monet, Zoe Kravitz, Timothy Chalamet, Michael B. Jordan, Rihanna, Emily Ratajkowski, Sawiti, Questlove, Daniel Kulaya, Tiffany Hardish, Tyler Perry, Minnie Kalang, John Hamm, DJ Khaled, and Kim Kardashian. People who have responded. Dawson tweeted on Tuesday that she arrived at the hotel after the picketers had gone home. Several celebrities have endorsed the Chateau boycott and stayed away from the party. Gabrielle Union, Issa Rae, Jane Fonda, Tom Morello, Adam McKay, Samira Wiley, Spike Lee, Robin Thied, Alfonso Cuaron, Amanda Seyfried, Steve Van Zandt, Nicole Black, Sarah Silverman, Martin Sheen, and Eddie Falco. Check it out. The it will be um, this story will be updated as uh, more more names come in. <laughs> okay, this is the B, and it's labor and love, and it's time for us to go. Scott Walker has arrived. To get ready for his show. Ah. Okay. And this is the B signing off, letting you remember when one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. Never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. Remember, it's all about global solidarity.
a podcast. Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> International banking, diplomatic cables, nuclear missile launch codes all rely on unbreakable encryption. What if these codes were no longer secure? That nightmare scenario seems to be a reality. A shadowy underworld syndicate is auctioning off access to the world's encrypted secrets. The only plausible explanation for this ability? Someone has achieved the holy grail of code breaking quantum computing. Veteran CIA agent John Clooney must track down the perpetrators and retrieve this technology from the U.S. government and its personal, as the Enigma brokers have already cost the lives of his fellow agents, perhaps including his partner. John Wessex's The Enigma Brokers is the first book of the John Clooney thrillers. Get it on Amazon. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought or two. You know, if you go to Joke Workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things to you before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dag nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! I was just leaving the theater. Convertible. 1969 gold Cadillac with the white interior. I it up here. And I started to do some thinking. Around in it on the freeway, and I'm having a really, really good time. Flat black glass. Smoking big spliffs and cruising. Saturday, the noon to two. On the freeway. Good I am a total Has John Clooney's friend and ally become a dangerous enemy? 
Private investigator Anton Gruber has been CIA agent John Clooney's trusted aide. Clooney may have questioned Gruber's taste in cuisine, but never his loyalty, until Gruber double-crossed him. Escaping with his life, Clooney is sidelined while his superior attempts to discover how Gruber was compromised. The investigation delves into Gruber's astonishing past, from his unpleasant days as an East German border guard to life as a narcotics agent, from his time in the tango clubs of Buenos Aires to a trip up the Amazon in search of Nazi gold. John Wessex's The Prague Deception is the third book of the John Clooney thrillers. Get it on Amazon. Hey, Mutineers Stolowitz here. Have you ever listened to Labor and Love on Saturday mornings, 10 to noon, with Bill Morgan? It's a really excellent show, one of my favorites here at the station. And it's all about service. It might be the devil, it might be the Lord, but we got to serve somebody. And Bill understands the virtue of service as the heart and soul of the labor movement better than a lot of people I know. And it's one of the reasons I love to listen to him. He breaks down socialism, democracy, protest history, workers' news, and the power of unions. Along with that, he serves up a excellent mix of jazz, Latin, gospel, hip-hop, and traditional folk ballads. Great stuff. Check it out. Labor and Love is every Saturday, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Serve somebody. Meals on Wheels is dedicated to fostering independent living for San Francisco seniors by providing hot, nutritious meals delivered to their homes. They're committed to fostering independent living for as long as possible. For more information, please call Meals on Wheels at 415-920-1111. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio in San Francisco. Are you looking for local handcrafted leather goods? Look no further than Skin on Skins, a local mission leather working shop. All original pieces handcrafted for you. Jackets, belts, purses, jewelry, everything made out of leather. You need your bicycle seat fixed? You want it in cool leather? Under can do it. You have a motorcycle that you want to fit out with side bags and cool stuff talk to under go to skinonskins.com that's s-k-i-n-o-n-s-k-i-n-s.com you just went to Folsom Street Fair and you don't have enough leather go see under everything is handcrafted and understated quality fine leather handcrafted goods for all of your needs he also does fixes maybe you love that jacket He'll put the zipper back in. Talk to Under at SkinOnSkins.com at 20th and Mission. Check them out at SkinOnSkins.com. Volunteer for the San Francisco Food Bank. The San Francisco Food Bank release on volunteers like you to help sort, package, and distribute healthy food to people in need in San Francisco. Each year, over 22,000 people contribute thousands of hours to fighting hunger in our community. This support will enable the SF Food Bank to distribute 43.5 million pounds of food this year 
enough for 93.000 meals every day. But they can't do it without volunteers. Visit www.sffoodbank.com.